Chapter 2 of Aviation Instructor's Handbook. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Norman Elfer. The Learning Process. Introduction. The First Flight. When Beverly, student, enthusiastically presents herself for her first day of flight instruction, Bill, her certificated flight instructor, CFI, decides to spend some time in the classroom. Beverly knows a lot of facts about flying and shares her knowledge with Bill, but when he asks questions to test her understanding of the facts, she cannot answer them. During their first flight, Bill discovers Beverly has mastered a few basic skills, but her performance is awkward, as if she were working from a list of memorized steps. In the early stages of flight training, Beverly focused all of her attention on performing each skill. If Bill asks her a question, or to perform two tasks at once, she loses her place and must restart. As she flies, she makes errors. When she catches herself making an error, she becomes visibly frustrated. Then sometimes, she does not notice an error and keeps moving ahead as if nothing were amiss. Since she is a beginner, Bill is patient. The Check Ride Months later, Bill is helping Beverly prepare for her practical test. Remembering her first days of instruction, Bill feels as if he were working with a different person. The breadth and depth of her classroom knowledge has grown. Beverly does not simply reiterate facts. She applies her knowledge to solve the problems Bill gives her. In addition to the required knowledge listed in the Practical Test Standards, PTS, she also knows about her local environment, such as the nuances of local weather patterns. In the aircraft, once awkward and tentative actions are now performed with a steady hand and confidence. Skills she struggled to learn in the past have become second nature. When asked to do several things simultaneously, she performs well. When Bill interrupts her, she mentally bookmarks where she is, contends with the interruption, and then tends to the task at hand. She still makes errors, but they are small ones that she notices and corrects right away. She still gets frustrated when she makes an error, but she takes a deep breath and continues on her way. She makes flying look easy, and Bill is confident that tomorrow's meeting with the examiner will go well. Discussion of First Flight and Check Ride Between Beverly's first day of training and the day before her practical test, she has undergone some remarkable changes. 1. She has developed a collection of memorized facts into an in-depth understanding of how to fly and learn to apply this knowledge to problem-solving and decision-making. 2. Skills once performed awkwardly and deliberately are now performed smoothly and efficiently. 3. She comfortably performs several tasks at once, deals with distractions and interruptions, and maintains her focus in demanding situations. Knowledge and skills are now orchestrated. 4. She still makes errors, but they are less frequent, smaller in magnitude, and she quickly identifies and corrects them. 5. Her motivation and enthusiasm remain as high as they were on the first day of training. 6. She displays proficiency in all areas now, those at which she naturally excels, as well as those she struggled to master in the past. 7. She deals with psychological obstacles, such as frustration, that initially got in the way of her learning. 8. She recognizes the importance of regular study and practice. This scenario illustrates the goal of an aviation instructor to teach each student 
in such a way that he or she will become a competent pilot or aviation maintenance technician, AMT. In order to take a pilot or AMT from memorized facts to higher levels of knowledge and skill that include the ability to exercise judgment and solve problems, an instructor needs to know how people learn. Designed as a basic guide to applied educational psychology, this chapter addresses how people learn. What is learning? Learning can be defined in many ways. A change in the behavior of the learner as a result of experience. Behavior can be physical and overt, or it can be intellectual or attitudinal. The process by which experience brings about a relatively permanent change in behavior. The change in behavior that results from experience and practice. Gaining knowledge or skills, or developing a behavior through study, instruction, or experience. The process of acquiring knowledge or skill through study, experience, or teaching. It depends on experience and leads to long-term changes in behavior potential. Behavior potential describes the possible behavior of an individual, not actual behavior, in a given situation in order to achieve a goal. A relatively permanent change in cognition resulting from experience and directly influencing behavior. The effective instructor understands the subject being taught, the student, the learning process, and the interrelationships that exist. An effective instructor also realizes learning is a complex procedure and assists each student in reaching the learning outcomes while helping the student build self-esteem and confidence. Figure 2-1. The Framework for Learning. Research into how people learn gained momentum with the Swiss scientist and psychologist Jean Piaget, who studied the intellectual development of children in the early 20th century. Figure 2-2. His studies influenced others to research not only how people learn, but the best ways to teach them, leading eventually to the establishment of the field of educational psychology. Learning Theory Learning theory is a body of principles advocated by psychologists and educators to explain how people acquire skills, knowledge, and attitudes. Various branches of learning theory are used in formal training programs to improve and accelerate the learning process. Key concepts such as desired learning outcomes, objectives of the training, and depth of training also apply. When properly integrated, learning principles can be useful to aviation instructors and developers of instructional programs for both pilots and AMTs. Many psychologists and educators have attempted to explain how people learn. While variations abound, modern learning theories grew out of two concepts of how people learn, behaviorism and cognitive theory. Behaviorism. Behaviorism is a school of psychology that explains animal and human behavior entirely in terms of observable and measurable responses to stimuli. Behaviorism was introduced in the early 20th century and its followers believed all human behavior is conditioned more or less by events in the environment. Thus, human behavior can be predicted based on past rewards and punishment. Classic behaviorist theory in education stressed a system of rewards and punishment or the carrot-and-stick approach to learning. In modern education circles, behaviorism stresses the importance of having a particular form of behavior positively reinforced by someone other than the learner who shapes or controls what is learned rather than 
no reinforcement or punishment. In aviation training, the instructor provides the reinforcement. Although the popular therapeutic system of behavior modification has emerged from this theory, behaviorism is now used more to break unwanted behaviors, such as smoking, than in teaching. The popularity of behaviorism has waned due to research that indicates learning is a much more complex process than a response to stimuli. Humans, far from being passive products of experience, are always actively interacting with the environment. Cognitive theory. Cognitive theory focuses on what is going on inside the mind. It is more concerned with cognition, the process of thinking and learning, knowing, perceiving, problem-solving, decision-making, awareness, and related intellectual activities than with stimulus and response. Learning is not just a change in behavior. It is a change in the way a learner thinks, understands, or feels. Theories based on cognition are concerned with the mental events of the learner. Much of the recent psychological thinking and experimentation in education includes some facets of the cognitive theory. Early theories of cognitive learning were established by psychologists and educators, such as John Dewey, Jean Piaget, Benjamin Bloom, and Jerome Bruner, figure 2-3. Over the past century, there have been many interpretations of the increasingly large amount of research data dealing with cognitive theories. This has led to many different models for learning as well as catchphrases. For example, Educator, psychologist, and philosopher John Dewey introduced the concept reflective thought in a 1910 book designed for teachers. Dewey believed learning improves to the degree that it arises out of the process of reflection. Over the years, terminology describing reflection has spawned a host of synonyms such as critical thinking, problem solving, and higher level thought. For Dewey, the concept of reflective thought carried deep meaning. He saw reflection as a process that moves a learner from one experience into the next with deeper understanding of its relationships with and connections to other experiences and ideas. Thus, reflection leads the learner from the unclear to the clear. Jean Piaget, who spent 50 years studying how children developed intellectually, became a major figure in the school of cognitive thought. His research led him to conclude there is always a tension between assimilation, old ideas meeting new situations, and accommodation, changing the old idea to meet the new situations. The resolution of this tension results in intellectual growth. Thus, humans develop cognitive skills through active interaction with the world, a basic premise of scenario-based training, SBT discussed later in this chapter. An American psychologist who studied with Piaget, Jerome Bruner, became interested in how intellectual development related to the process of learning. His research led him to advocate learning from the known to the unknown, or from the concrete to the abstract, because humans best learn when relating new knowledge to existing knowledge. He introduced and developed the concept of the spiral curriculum, which revisits basic ideas repeatedly and builds on them in increasingly sophisticated ways as the student matures and develops. Consider the opening scenario with Bill and Beverly. Bill might effectively use this theory with Beverly 
because she arrived at her first class with a store of aviation knowledge. Building upon this knowledge, Bill can teach her how to keep the aircraft in straight and level flight, while he reinforces what she knows about basic aerodynamics by a demonstration and discussion. Since aerodynamics is a constant thread in the flight lesson, Bill is also able to employ the spiral curriculum concept in future lessons by repeatedly revisiting the basic concepts and building upon them as Beverly's skill and knowledge increase. In the mid-1900s, a group of educators, led by Benjamin Bloom, tried to classify the levels of thinking behaviors thought to be important in the processes of learning, figure 2-4. They wanted to classify education goals and objectives based on the assumptions that abilities can be measured along a continuum from simple to complex. The result, which remains a popular framework for cognitive theory, was Bloom's Taxonomy of the Cognitive Domain. The taxonomy, a classification system according to presumed relationships, comprises six levels of intellectual behavior and progresses from the simplest to the most complex. Knowledge, comprehension, application, analysis, synthesis, and evaluation. For more detailed learning about the taxonomy, see Domains of Learning. Continued research into cognitive theory has led to theories such as information processing and constructivism. Information processing theory. Information processing theory uses a computer system as a model for human learning. The human brain processes incoming information, stores and retrieves it, and generates responses to the information. This involves a number of cognitive processes, gathering and representing information, encoding, retaining of information, and retrieving the information when needed. This learning system has limitations and must be operated properly. A computer gets input from a keyboard, mouse, etc., whereas the human brain gets input from the senses of sight, hearing, touch, taste, and smell. The amount of sensory input the brain receives per second ranges from thousands to millions of bits of information, according to various theories. Regardless of the number, that is a lot of information for the brain to track and process. One way the brain deals with all this information is to let many of the habitual and routine things go unnoticed. For example, a pilot who uses the rudder when entering a turn is usually unaware of pressing the pedal, even though it involves moving a leg, exerting pressure on the pedal, etc. The human unconscious takes charge, leaving conscious thought processes free to deal with issues that are not habitual. Since information processing theorists approach learning primarily through a study of memory, this learning concept is revisited during the discussion of memory. A derivative of cognitive theory, constructivism, is a philosophy of learning that can be traced to the 18th century. This theory holds that learners do not acquire knowledge and skills passively, but actively build or construct them based on their experiences. As implied by its name, Constructivism emphasizes the constructing or building that goes on in a learner's mind when he or she learns. Therefore, it creates a learner-centered learning environment in which learners assume responsibility for their own learning. According to constructivism, humans construct a unique mental image by combining pre-existing information with the information received from sense organs. Learning is the result of the learner matching new information against this pre-existing information, in integrating it into meaningful connections. In constructivist 
thinking, learners are given more latitude to become effective problem solvers, identifying and evaluating problems, as well as deciphering ways in which to transfer their learning to these problems, all of which foster critical thinking skills. While a student is at the center of the learning process, an experienced teacher is necessary to guide them through the information jungle. Constructivism techniques are good for some types of learning, some situations, and some learners, but not all. This school of thought also encourages teaching students how to use what are known as the higher order thinking skills, HOTS, from Bloom's taxonomy and training based on problems or scenarios. Higher order thinking skills, HOTS. The constructivist theory of learning explains and supports the learning of HOTS, which is commonly called aeronautical decision making, ADM, in aviation. HOTS lies in the last three categories of Bloom's taxonomy of learning analysis, synthesis, and evaluation skills. Teaching the higher level thinking skills, which are essential to judgment, decision making, and critical thinking, is important to aviation because a common thread in aviation accidents is the absence of higher order thinking skills. See Appendix F. HOTS are taught like other cognitive skills from simple to complex, and from concrete to abstract. To teach HOTS effectively involves strategies and methods that include 1. Using problem-based learning, PBL instruction, 2. Authentic problems, 3. Real-world problems, 4. Student-centered learning, 5. Active learning, 6. Cooperative learning, and seven, customized instruction to meet the individual learner's needs. These strategies engage the learner in some form of mental activity, have the learner examine that mental activity and select the best solution, and challenge the learner to explore other ways to accomplish the task or the problem. It must be remembered that critical thinking skills should be taught in the context of subject matter. Learners progress from simple to complex, Therefore, they need some information before they can think about a subject beyond rote learning. For example, knowing that compliance with the weight and balance limits of any aircraft is critical to flight safety will not help an aviation student interpret weight and balance charts unless he or she knows something about how the center of gravity interacts with weight and balance. If the student does not have much subject matter knowledge, draw on the student's experiences to gain entry into complex concepts. For example, most students probably played on a seesaw during their childhood, thus they have a basic experience of how weight and balance work around a center of gravity. Additionally, HOTS must be emphasized throughout a program of study for best results. For aviation, this means HOTS should be taught in the initial pilot training program and in every subsequent pilot training program. Instructors need to teach the cognitive skills used in problem solving until these techniques become automated and transferable to new situations or problems. Cognitive research has shown that the learning of HOTS is not a change in observable behavior, but in the construction of meaning from experience. Scenario-based training. At the heart of HOTS lies scenario-based training, SBT, which is an example of the PBL instructional method and facilitates the enhancement of learning and the development and transference of thinking skills. 
SBT provides more realistic decision-making opportunities because it presents tasks in an operational environment, it correlates new information with previous information, and introduces new information in a realistic context. SBT is a training system that uses a structured script of real-world scenarios to address flight training objectives in an operational environment. Such training can include initial training, transition training, upgrade training, current training, and special training. The instructor should adapt the scenarios to the aircraft, its specific flight characteristics, and the likely flight environment, and should always require the student to make real-time decisions in a realistic setting. The scenarios should always be planned and led by the student, with the exception of the first flight or two, or until the student has developed the required skills. SBT not only meets the challenge of teaching aeronautical knowledge to the application level of learning, but also enables the instructor to teach the underlying HOTS needed to approve ADM. The best use of scenarios draws the learner into formulating possible solutions, evaluating the possible solutions, deciding on a solution, judging the appropriateness of that decision, and finally, reflecting on the mental processes used in solving the problem. It causes the learner to consider whether the decision led to the best possible outcome and challenges the learner to consider other solutions. SBT scenarios help learners better understand the decisions they have to make and also helps focus the learner on the decisions and consequences involved. It is being used to train people in everything from emergency response to hotel management. The strength of SBT lies in helping the learner gain a deeper understanding of the information and in the learner improving his or her ability to recall the information. This goal is reached when the material is presented as an authentic problem in a situated environment that allows the learner to make meaning of the information based on his or her experience and personal interpretation. SBT has become one of the primary methods to teach today's aviation learners how to make good aeronautical decisions, which in turn enhances the safety of all aviation-related activities. For information on how to incorporate SBT into a training syllabus, refer to Chapter 9, Perceptions. Initially, all learning comes from perceptions, which are directed by the brain by one or more of the five senses, sight, hearing, touch, smell, and taste. Psychologists have also found that learning occurs most rapidly when information is received through more than one sense. Figure 2-5 Perception involves more than the reception of stimuli from the five senses. It also involves a person giving meaning to sensations. People base their actions on the way they believe things to be. The experienced AMT, for example, perceives an engine malfunction quite differently than does an inexperienced student. This occurs because the beginning aviation student is overwhelmed by stimuli and often focuses on meaningless things, thus missing key information. It is important for the instructor to direct trainees' perceptions initially so that the student detects and perceives relevant information. Real meaning only comes from within a person, even though the perceptions which evoke these meanings result from external stimuli. The meanings which are derived from perceptions are influenced not only by the individual's experience, but also by many other factors. 
knowledge of the factors that affect the perceptual process is very important to the aviation instructor because perceptions are the basis of all learning. Factors that affect perception. Both internal and external factors affect an individual's ability to perceive. Physical organism, goals and values, self-concept, time and opportunity, element of threat. Physical organism. The physical organism provides individuals with the perceptual apparatus for sensing the world around them. Pilots, for example, must be able to see, hear, feel, and respond adequately while they are in the air. Goals and values. Perceptions depend on one's values and goals. Every experience and sensation, which is funneled into one's central nervous system, is colored by the individual's own beliefs and value structures. Spectators at a ball game may see an infraction or foul differently, depending on which team they support. The values of the student are important for the instructor to know because this knowledge assists in predicting how the student interprets experiences and instructions. Goals are also a product of one's value structure. Things that are more highly valued and cherished are pursued. Those accorded less value and importance are not sought after. Self-concept Self-concept is a powerful determinant in learning. A student's self-image, described in such terms as confident or insecure, has a great influence on the total perceptual process. If a student's experiences tend to support a favorable self-image, the student tends to remain receptive to subsequent experiences. If a student has negative experiences, which tend to contradict self-concept, there is a tendency to reject additional training. A negative self-concept inhibits the perceptual processes by introducing psychological barriers, which tend to keep the student from perceiving. They may also inhibit the ability to properly implement what is perceived. That is, self-concept affects the ability to actually perform or do things unfavorably. Students who view themselves positively, on the other hand, are less defensive and more receptive to new experiences, instructions, and demonstrations. Time and Opportunity It takes time and opportunity to perceive. Learning some things depends on other perceptions, which have preceded these learnings, and on the ability of time to sense and relate these new things to the earlier perceptions. Thus, proper sequence and time are necessary. A student could probably stall an aircraft in the first attempt, regardless of previous experience. Stalls cannot really be learned, however, unless some experience in normal flight has been acquired. Even with such experience, time and practice are needed to relate the new sensations and experiences associated with stalls in order to develop a perception of the stall. In general, lengthening an experience and increasing its frequency are the most obvious ways to speed up learning, although this is not always effective. Many factors, in addition to the length and frequency of training periods, affect the rate of learning. The effectiveness of the use of a properly planned training syllabus is proportional to the consideration it gives to the time and opportunity factor in perception. Element of Threat The element of threat does not promote effective learning. In fact, fear adversely affects perception by narrowing the perceptual field. Confronted with threat, students tend to limit their attention to the threatening object or condition. The field of vision is reduced, for example, when an individual is frightened and all the perceptual faculties are focused on the thing that has generated fear. 
Flight instruction provides many clear examples of this. During the initial practice of steep turns, Beverly may focus her attention on the altimeter and completely disregard outside visual references. It makes Beverly less able to accept the experience Bill is trying to provide. It adversely affects all her physical, emotional, and mental faculties. Learning is a psychological process, not necessarily a logical one. Trying to frighten a student through threats of unsatisfactory reports or reprisals may seem logical, but it is not effective psychologically. The effective instructor organizes teaching to fit the psychological needs of the student. If a situation seems overwhelming, a student feels unable to handle all the factors involved. A threat exists. As long as a student feels capable of coping with a situation, each new experience is viewed as a challenge. A good instructor recognizes that behavior is directly influenced by the way a student perceives, and perception is affected by all these factors. Therefore, it is important for the instructor to facilitate the learning process by avoiding any actions which may inhibit or prevent the attainment of teaching goals. Teaching is consistently effective only when those factors that influence perception are recognized and taken into account. Insight Insight involves the grouping of perceptions into meaningful wholes. Creating insight is one of the instructor's major responsibilities. To ensure that this occurs, it is essential to keep each student constantly receptive to new experiences and to help the student understand how each piece relates to all the other pieces of the total pattern of the task to be learned. For example, during straight and level flight in an aircraft with a fixed pitch propeller, the revolutions per minute RPM increase when the throttle is opened and decrease when it is closed. On the other hand, RPM changes can also result from change in aircraft pitch attitude without changes in power setting. Obviously, engine speed, power setting, airspeed, and aircraft attitude are all related. True learning requires an understanding of how each factor may affect all of the others, and at the same time, knowledge of how a change in any one of them may affect all of the others. This mental relating and grouping of associated perceptions is called insight. Insight almost always occurs eventually, whether or not instruction is provided. For this reason, it is possible for a person to become an electrician by trial and error, just as one might become a lawyer by reading law. Instruction, however, speeds this learning process by teaching the relationship of perceptions as they occur, thus promoting the development of the student's insight. As perceptions increase in number, the student develops an insight by assembling them into larger blocks of learning. As a result, learning becomes more meaningful and more permanent. Forgetting is less of a problem when there are more anchors for tying insights together. It is a major responsibility of the instructor to organize demonstrations and explorations, and to direct practice so that the student has better opportunities to understand the interrelationship of the many kinds of experiences that have been perceived. Pointing out the relationships as they occur, providing a secure and non-threatening environment in which to learn, and helping the student acquire and maintain a favorable self-concept are key steps in fostering the development of insight. Acquiring Knowledge Part of an aviation instructor's job is to help students acquire knowledge. In this context, knowledge refers to information that humans are consciously aware of and can articulate. For example, 
knowledge of the fuel capacity of a particular aircraft, understanding how an internal combustion engine works, and the ability to determine the weight and balance of an aircraft are examples of knowledge. Figure 2-6 shows the three phases of knowledge, a progression of how students acquire knowledge. Some practical considerations about learning new knowledge and instructor actions that help students acquire knowledge are summarized. Memorization. A student's first attempt to acquire knowledge about a new topic amounts to memorizing facts about steps in a procedure. For example, when Beverly is learning to use an altimeter, she may have to memorize that the knob on the instrument is used to dial the correct barometric pressure and that this number must be obtained from the recorded broadcast and set prior to flight. Memorizing facts and steps has an advantage. It allows students to get started quickly. For example, as soon as Beverly memorizes the purpose of the knob on the altimeter and the procedure for obtaining the correct barometric pressure, she is able to properly configure the instrument for flight. The limitations of memorization become apparent when a student is asked to solve a problem or provide an explanation of something that is not covered by the newly acquired knowledge. For example, when asked whether she would rather have the altimeter mistakenly set too high or too low when flying in mountainous terrain, Beverly may not have an answer. Understanding A more experienced pilot can answer the altimeter question because he or she understands the ramifications of the question. Understanding, or the ability to notice similarities and make associations between the facts and procedural steps learned, is an important next stage in the knowledge acquisition process. At this stage, the learner begins to organize knowledge in useful ways, and a collection of memorized facts gives way to understanding. Understanding develops when students begin to organize known facts and steps into coherent groups that come together to form an understanding of how a thing or a process works. For example, after learning to adjust the mixture control in cruise flight, Beverly learns that combustion requires a certain mixture of fuel and air, and that air becomes less dense as altitude increases. Combining these two ideas, she now understands the purpose of the mixture control is to keep these two quantities in balance as the aircraft changes altitude. Mental model or self-explanation, is often used to refer to an organized collection of ideas that forms a learner's understanding of a thing or process. The advantage of possessing this type of understanding include the following. 1. The learner is no longer limited to answering questions that match the memorized facts. For example, armed with the understanding of the mixture control, Beverly may now be able to produce answers to more challenging questions such as what would happen if the mixture were set too rich or too lean. 2. Learners who understand the process have an easier time mastering variations of the processes, such as an unfamiliar aircraft, new avionics systems, and unfamiliar airport procedures. 3. Understanding shared between people allows them to communicate more efficiently. For example, an experienced pilot might mention to an experienced mechanic that a magneto ran a bit rough during an engine run-up. This brief communication triggers an access to a wealth of knowledge in the mind of the mechanic, who instantly knows what must be done. 4. Learners who understand the purpose behind procedure steps are better able to remember the procedure steps later or reconstruct them when they are forgotten.
mental models evolve as learners take in new information. For example, Bill could ask Beverly why flying with an inappropriate mixture setting is bad. A learner whose understanding includes knowledge about spark plugs and carbon deposits might answer correctly. If the same learner's understanding later extends to include knowledge about thermal efficiency and the stoichiometric equation for the combustion of gasoline, the explanations are likely to become much more sophisticated. No individual's understanding of anything is ever complete. Concept Learning Concept learning is based on the assumption that humans tend to group objects, events, ideas, people, etc. that share one or more attributes that set them apart. It also involves discrimination between types of things or ideas inside or outside of a concept set. By grouping information into concepts, humans tend to reduce the complexities of life and create manageable categories. Although many theories about concept learning exist, categorization has always been a central aspect. Concept learning enhances student understanding when students formulate generalized concepts from particular facts or steps. Generalized concepts are more powerful than facts because instead of literally describing one thing, they can describe many things at once. For example, a new flight student who sees several examples of weight shift control WSC aircraft may formulate a category for WSC aircraft based on the wing, which is large and fabric covered. The power of the category becomes obvious when the student sees a sport airplane. Because of the similar wing, he or she immediately categorizes it as an ultralight and ascribes many of the properties of ultralight aircraft to the sport plane. In this way, the student used a generalized concept to begin to understand something new. Most learners exhibit a natural tendency to categorize and become adept at recognizing members of most any category they create. If something is encountered that does not fit into a category, these learners formulate a new category or revise the definitions of existing categories. In the above example, the student eventually must revise the category of ultralight to light sport aircraft, which encompasses both types of aircraft. Therefore, an important part of the learning process is continual revision of the categories used when learners encounter new things or exceptions to things previously cataloged. Another type of generalization is a schema, the cognitive framework that helps people organize and interpret information. Schemas can be revised by any new information and are useful because they allow people to take shortcuts in interpreting a vast amount of information. Humans form schemas when they notice recurring patterns in things frequently observed or done. Schemas help learners interpret things they observe by priming them to expect certain elements that match the schema. For example, schemas demonstrate why an experienced pilot is able to listen to and read back a lengthy deporting clearance issued by Air Traffic Control, ATC. Beginning flight students often remember the controller's use of the words the and 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 fail to note more important words that describe assigned altitudes or radio frequencies. The experienced pilot is successful because he or she possesses a schema for this type of event and knows in advance that the clearance contains five key pieces of information. While listening to the clearance, the pilot anticipates and is primed to capture those five things. Similarly, 
students create schemas for pre-flight inspection procedures and procedures required to operate advanced flight deck systems, such as autopilots and multifunction displays. As with categories, humans continuously learn new schemas and revise old ones to accommodate new things as they continue to learn. While schemas help humans deal with information, they can also make it difficult to retain new ideas that does not conform to established schemas. Thorndike and the Laws of Learning One of the pioneers of educational psychology, E. L. Thorndike, formulated three laws of learning in the early 20th century. See figure 2-7. These laws are universally accepted and apply to all kinds of learning. The law of readiness, the law of exercise, and the law of effect. Since Thorndike set down his laws, three more have been added. The law of primacy, the law of intensity, and the law of recency. Readiness. The basic needs of the learner must be satisfied before he or she is capable of learning. See Chapter 1, Human Behavior. The instructor can do little to motivate the learner if these needs have not been met. This means the learner must want to learn the task being presented and must possess the requisite knowledge and skill. In SBT, Scenario-Based Training, the instructor attempts to make the task as meaningful as possible and to keep it within the learner's capabilities. Students best acquire new knowledge when they see a clear reason for doing so, often show a strong interest in learning what they believe they need to know next, and tend to set aside things for which they see no immediate need. For example, beginning flight students commonly ignore the flight instructor's suggestion to use the trim control. These students believe the control yoke is an adequate way to manipulate the aircraft's control surfaces. Later in training, when they must divert their attention away from the controls to other tasks, they realize the importance of trim. Instructors can take two steps to keep their students in a state of readiness to learn. First. Instructors should communicate a clear set of learning objectives to the student and relate each new topic to those objectives. Second, instructors should introduce topics in a logical order and leave students with a need to learn the next topic. The development and use of a well-designed curriculum accomplish this goal. Readiness to learn also involves what is called the teachable moment, or a moment of educational opportunity when a person is particularly responsive to being taught something. One of the most important skills to develop as an instructor is the ability to recognize and capitalize on teachable moments in aviation training. An instructor can find or create teachable moments in flight training activity. Pattern work, air work in the local practice area, cross-country, flight review, or instrument proficiency check. Teachable moments present opportunities to convey information in a way that is relevant, effective, and memorable to the student. They occur when a learner can clearly see how specific information or skills can be used in the real world. For example, while on final approach, several deer cross the runway. Bill capitalizes on this teachable moment to stress the importance of always being ready to perform a go-around. Effect all learning involves the formation of connections, and connections are strengthened or weakened according to the law of effect. Responses to a situation that are followed by satisfaction are strengthened. Responses that are followed by discomfort are weakened, either strengthening or weakening the connection to the learning. Thus, learning is strengthened when accompanied by a pleasant or satisfying feeling 
and weakened when associated with an unpleasant feeling. Experiences that produce feelings of defeat, frustration, anger, confusion, or futility are unpleasant for the student. For example, if Bill teaches landings to Beverly during the first flight, she is likely to feel inferior and be frustrated, which weakens the learning connection. The learner needs to have success in order to have more success in the future. It is important for the instructor to create situations designed to promote success. Positive training experiences are more apt to lead to success and motivate the learner, while negative training experiences might stimulate forgetfulness or avoidance. When presented correctly, SBT provides immediate positive experiences in terms of real-world applications. To keep learning pleasant and to maintain student motivation, an instructor should make positive comments about the student progress before discussing areas that need improving. Flight instructors have an opportunity to do this during the flight debriefing. For example, Bill praises Beverly on her aircraft control during all phases of flight, but offers constructive comments on how to better maintain the runway centerline during landings. Exercise. Connections are strengthened with practice and weakened when practice is discontinued, which reflects the adage, use it or lose it. The learner needs to practice what has been learned in order to understand and remember the learning. Practice strengthens the learning connection. Disuse weakens it. Exercise is most meaningful and effective when a skill is learned within the context of a real-world application. Primacy. Primacy, the state of being first, often creates a strong, almost unshakable impression and underlies the reason an instructor must teach correctly the first time and the student must learn correctly the first time. For example, a maintenance student learns a faulty riveting technique. Now the instructor must correct the bad habit and reteach the correct technique. Relearning is more difficult than initial learning. Also, if the task is learned in isolation, it is not initially applied to the overall performance or if it must be relearned, the process can be confusing and time-consuming. The first experience should be positive, functional, and lay the foundation for all that is to follow. Intensity. Immediate, exciting, or dramatic learning connected to a real situation teaches the learner more than a routine or boring experience. Real-world applications, scenarios, that integrate procedures and tasks the learner is capable of learning make a vivid impression and he or she is least likely to forget the experience. For example, using realistic scenarios has been shown to be effective in the development of proficiency in flight maneuvers, tasks, and single pilot resource management SRM, skills. Recency. The principle of recency states that things most recently learned are best remembered. Conversely, the further a learner is removed in time from a new fact or understanding, the more difficult it is to remember. For example, it is easy for a learner to recall a torque value used a few minutes earlier, but it is more difficult or even impossible to remember an unfamiliar one used a week earlier. Instructors recognize the principle of recency when they carefully plan a summary for a ground school lesson, a shop period, or a post-flight critique. The instructor repeats, restates, or re-emphasizes important points at the end of a lesson to help the learner remember them. The principle of recency often determines the sequence of lectures within a course of instruction. In SBT, the closer the training or learning time is to the time of the actual scenario, 
the more apt the learner is to perform successfully. This law is most effectively addressed by making the training experience as much like the scenario as possible. End of Part 1 of Chapter 2 through page 2-12